Welcome back to another episode of 11 Old Sports. Professor Rebecca here. Summary for part 1, chapter 9. By the way, this is the end of the book. I hope everyone is doing great. After two years, I remember the rest of that day and that night and the next day only as an endless drill of police and photographers and newspaper men in and out of Gatsby's front door. A rope stretched across the main gate and a policeman by it kept out the curious. But little boys soon discovered that they could enter through my yard and there were always a few of them clustered open mouth about the pool. Someone with a positive manner, perhaps a detective, used the expression madman as he bent over Wilson's body that afternoon, and the adventurous authority of his boys set the key for the newspaper reports next morning. All right, so Nick is being sarcastic, someone with a positive manner called him a madman, and the reason of why it took two years for him to remember the rest of that day is because he had experienced trauma. He had post-traumatic stress, or at least an episode, and sometimes memory is affected, in addition to the feeling of safety. Most of those reports were a nightmare, grotesque, circumstantial, eager, and untrue. When Michaela's testimony at the inquest brought it to light Wilson's suspicions of his wife, I thought the whole tale would shortly be served up in racy pasquinade. But Catherine, who might have said anything, didn't say a word. She showed a surprising amount of character about it, too. Looked at the coroner with determined eyes under the under that corrected brow of hers, and sort that her sister had never seen Gasby, and that her sister was completely happy with her husband, and that her sister had been into no mischief whatever. She convinced herself of it and cried into her handkerchief as if the very suggestion was more than she could endure. So Wilson was reduced to a man deranged by grief in order that the case might remain in its simplest form and it rested there. Alright, the word grotesque is repeated a lot but that is something that I will explain probably in the next episode. Also, um, we know that Catherine was lying obviously she knew that um, Myrtle was cheating on her husband but obviously she was not going to admit it but all this part of it seemed remote and unessential I found myself on Gatsby's side and alone from the moment I telephoned news of the catastrophe to West Egg Village every surmise about him and every practical question was referred to me at first, I was surprised and confused. Then, as he lay in his house and didn't move or breathe or speak hour upon hour, it grew upon me that I was responsible because no one else was interested. Interested, I mean, with that intense personal interest to which everyone has some vague right at the end. So Nick was his only true friend. And Nick had always admired Gatsby's passion for his dream, but now he's feeling sorry for him, and he is also fond of him at the same time. I called up Daisy half an hour after we found him, 
call her without hesitation, but she and Tom had gone away early that afternoon and taken baggage with them. Left no address? No. Say when they'd be back? No. Any idea where they are or how could I reach them? I don't know. Can't say. I wanted to get somebody for him. I wanted to go into the room where he lay and reassure him. I'll get you somebody. Gatsby, don't worry. Just trust me and I'll get you somebody. Okay, so Tom and Daisy, they uh, run and, and live before they can get implicated in anything. Remember when they were in Chicago that they moved to East Egg because they had... Or Tom was the one who had some travels back in Chicago. So this is a common pattern that they have. And every time there is a tough situation that they don't want to face, they move away or they run away. Nick was trying to get in touch with Gatsby's friend so that he wouldn't be alone at his funeral. Though he couldn't get in touch with anybody, he tried to call Mayor Wolfshine but he didn't answer the phone calls and he tried to go upstairs to see if he could find information about Gatsby's friends but the only thing he found was a picture of Dan Cody and he wasn't sure if Gatsby's parents were alive. In talking about that when Gatsby broke ties with his family he broke ties with his parents in the sense that he didn't want anyone else to know about them as there was no memorabilia around his house but that didn't mean that he didn't love them and you'll see why in later so the next morning he decided to send a butler to new york with a letter to wolfsheim asking him if he could come to gasby's funeral and so he replied this back to him Dear Mr. Carway, this has been one of the most terrible shocks of my life to me. I hardly can believe it, that it is true at all. Such a mad act as that man did should make us all think. I cannot come down now as I am tied up in some very important business and cannot get mixed up in this thing now. If there is anything I can do a little later, let me know in a letter by Edgar. I hardly know where I am when I heard about a thing like this and I am completely knocked down and out. Yours truly, Mayor Wolfsheim. And then has the addenda beneath? Let me know about the funeral, etc. Do not know his family at all. So he is showing some um, interest in getting to know about Gatsby's funeral, though he is distancing himself at the same time. I think it was on the third day that a telegram signed Henry Seagat's arrived from a town in Minnesota. It said only that the sender was leaving immediately and to postpone the funeral until he came. It was Gatsby's father, a solemn old man, very helpless and dismayed, bundled up in a long cheap holster against the warm September day. His eyes licked continuously with excitement, and when I took the bag and umbrella from his hands, he began to pull so incessantly at his purse gray beard that I had difficulty in getting off his coat. 
He was on the point of collapse, so I took him into the music room and made him sit down while I sent for something to eat. But he wouldn't eat, and the glass of milk spilled from his trembling hand. I saw it in the Chicago newspaper, he said. It was all in the Chicago newspaper. I started right away. I didn't know how to reach you. His eyes, seeing nothing, moved about the room. It was a madman, he said. He must have been mad. Wouldn't you like some coffee, I urged him. Obviously, Nick wasn't going to say anything negative about Gatsby. I don't want anything. I'm all right right now, Mr. Carraway. What do you want? Herzog? Who is it? I told you. My name is... Gats. Yeah. I'm Jimmy's father. You know, we, we was broke up when he run off from home. And ever since he made a success, he was very generous with me. Obviously frightened person called up and demanded to know who I was before he would give his name. This is Mr. Carraway, I said. Oh, he sounded relieved. This is Cliff Springer. I was relieved too, for that seemed to promise another friend at Gasby's grave. I didn't want it to be in the papers and draw a sightseeing crowd, so I'd been calling up a few friends myself. They were hard to find. The funeral's tomorrow, I said. Three o'clock here at the house. I wish you'd tell anybody who'd be interested. Oh, I will, he broke out hastily. Of course, I'm not likely to see anybody, but if I do, his tone made me suspicious. Of course, you'll be there yourself. Well, I'll certainly try. What I called up about is... Wait a minute, I interrupted. How about saying you'll come? Well, the fact is, the truth of the matter is that I'm staying with some people up here in Greenwich and they rather expect me to be with them tomorrow. In fact, there is sort of picnic or something. Of course, I'll do my very best to get away. I ejaculated an unrestrained, huh, and he must have hurt me for he went on nervously. What I called up about was a pair of shoes I left there. 
I wonder if it'd be too much travel to have the butler send them on. You'll see they are tennis shoes and I'm sort of helpless without them. My address is care of BF and I didn't hear the rest of the name because I hang up on the receiver. So do you guys remember Cliff Springer? He was the boarder, the guy who played the piano at Gatsby's parties and he made him stay until everyone was gone because he didn't want anyone talking about him and Daisy. So Nick thought that he was Gatsby's friend. But this guy is so narcissistic, he doesn't even care about Gatsby's funeral. He's been selfish and he only cared about his pair of shoes. The morning of the funeral, I went up to New York to see Mayor Wolfsheim. I couldn't seem to reach him in any other way. The door that I pushed open on the advice of an elevator boy was marked the Swastika Holding Company and at first there didn't seem to be anyone inside but when I shouted hello several times in vain an argument broke out behind a partition and presently a lovely Jewish appeared at the interior door and scrutinized me with black hostile eyes. So why if Mayor Wolfsheim was Jewish he had a company named the Swastika Holding Company. Well, first, um, he was Jewish, so it's clearly not an indication that he was Nazi. Although Hitler took the swastika, which was an ancient Indian sign of good luck, as a symbol of the Nazis. And remember that by the time that Fitzgerald wrote the novel, the swastika had no widespread exposure of Nazis' symbol. So Nick and Gatsby were having a conversation about Gatsby and how they met and how he got him into that kind of business, but then Nick reminded him of the funeral. Now he's dead, I said after a moment. You were his closest friend, so I know you want to come to his funeral this afternoon. I'd like to come. Well, come then. The hair in his nostrils quivered slightly as he shook his head, his eyes filled with tears. I can't do it. I can't get mixed up in it, he said. There's nothing to get mixed up in. It's all over now. When a man gets killed, I never like to get mixed up in it in any way. I keep out. When I was a young man, it was different. If a friend of mine died, no matter how, I stuck with them to the end. You may think that's sentimental, but I mean it to the bitter end. So um, the reason why Mayor Wolfsheim doesn't want to, to go to Gatsby's funeral is because um, he is a gangster and he knows that they're going to be cops um, they are going to show up at the funeral because usually the murderer is someone that is close um, to the person who was killed and he doesn't want to get involved in anything or he doesn't want any drama as he is cold and, and selfish. I saw that for some reason of his own he was determined not to come so I stood up. Are you a college man? he inquired suddenly. For a moment I thought he was going to suggest a connection, but he only nodded and shook my hand. 
Let us learn to show our friendship for a man when he is alive and not after he is dead, he suggested. After that, my own rule is to let everything alone. Okay, so um, at this point, he was looking for a replacement for Gatsby. And that's the reason why he said if he was a college man, because he was offering him a job, but he knew that Nick wasn't the kind of person that wanted to get involved into that kind of business. When I left his office, the sky had turned dark and I got back to West Egg in a drizzle. So it was raining, remember the pathetic fallacy that I explained a couple of episodes ago? And also Fitzgerald is mentioning that um, it was dark, so that indicates that there is some tension in the air. So after changing my clothes, I went next door and found Mr. Gatz walking up and down excitedly in the hall. His pride in his son and in his son's possessions was continually increasing and now he had something to show me. Jimmy sent me this picture. He took out his wallet with trembling fingers. Look there. It was a photograph of the house cracked in the corners and dirty with many hands. He pointed out every detail to me eagerly. Look there and thought admiration from my eyes. He had shown it so often that I think it was more real to him now than the house itself. So here is the fantasy versus reality motive that um, dreams are more important than um, reality. And even though he doesn't have any memorabilia of his family, in this case his parents, um, that didn't mean that he didn't love them because he did and then he says Jimmy sent me uh, this I think it was a very pretty picture it shows up well very well had you seen him lately he come out to see me two years ago and bought me the house I live in now so you see he did feel some responsibility for his parents this is it all sports. Thank you very much for paying attention and I'll talk to you in the next episode. I'm going to leave you with an interview that was made to Leonardo DiCaprio a couple of years ago when uh, the movie was out. Goodbye everyone. We have been mesmerized by the great Gatsby, and this morning, the man at the center of it all, Leonardo DiCaprio, tackling one of the most iconic characters in American literature, Jay Gatsby, the glamorous, tortured, endlessly romantic tycoon at the heart of F. Scott Fitzgerald's masterpiece. Take a look. I've gotten all these things for her. I've gotten all these things for her. Now she just, she just wants to run away. <laughs> she even wants to leave that. Jay, you can't repeat the past can't repeat the past. No. Why, of course you can. Of course you can. And with that, we welcome back Leonardo DiCaprio. Thanks for coming back. Today. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be so here. So do you believe that? Of course you can. Well, I think what people identify with Jay Gatsby is he's the iconic American dreamer. And um, 
He's holding on to a relic of the past that is Daisy Buchanan, but she's a mirage and she no longer exists. But that's what I became fascinated by in, in portraying him was his obsession, you know, his obsession and his relentless uh, hope that he could recreate the past, but of course he couldn't. We were just talking about the fact you, um, like all of us, read this in junior high school, high mm -hmm. school, and then Baz Luhrmann gave you a first edition yeah. before you took on the role, and you read it again and again and again. And, and, and when you go back to it as an adult, what did you get from the story? Well, you know, I, I read it in, in junior high school, and it made sense to me, and, and it was, in my mind, a sort of traditional love story at the time period, and it was representative of the, of the Roaring Twenties, and 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 I, I, I kind of tapped into Gatsby's obsession, but Baz handed me a first edition copy and said, I want to rediscover this novel, and I want to I put it up on film, and I want you to reread it. And as an adult, it, that's what's so incredibly powerful about this novel. It takes on a different meaning. You know, as you mature and as you age, you start to understand the symbolism. It's really an existential novel. It's really, um, you know, one of those books that is not only, it's woven into the fabric of America. And here at the centers, you have this, this, this man that creates himself according to his own imagination in, in the 1920s in a place like America where everything was possible. And, and Baz Luhrmann creates that world in such a spectacular way. Yes, he does. He, he uh, really made the 1920s roar in this film. <laughs> but with Baz, you know, anytime you sit in a room with him, he's one of the most nostalgic sort of exciting artists you could ever encounter. And it's almost impossible to say no to him because he transports you into another era and time. Were and you reluctant? I was reluctant because I think that what's so powerful about this novel is everyone has their own interpretation of these characters. And it's such a voyeur voyeuristic novel. The way Fitzgerald writes these scenes, you feel like you're in the room with these people. So I feel like everyone has an, their own intimate understanding and relationship well, with these characters. Especially in 3D uh, yeah. as well. And does that change when, when, when you're acting, do you adjust your performance knowing it's going to be in 3D? Oh, no. Never. But, you know, we really attempted this like a theater production. I mean, we, the last plaza sequence, which is uh, 10 minutes long in the movie, which is the final climax of, what's, of the novel. The fight. Yeah, the big fight at the end. You know, we rehearsed that like a theater company for, for weeks and weeks and endlessly tr tried to dissect Fitzgerald's words. And, and, and went into that room for, for two weeks and locked ourselves away. But the great thing about 3D that I think is so surprising in this, uh, in this film is that it, it gives you that ability to immerse yourself in the room. You, get, you understand the palpable tension between the characters. No question about that. You feel the heat of the room that Fitzgerald so describes. And, and it just adds another layer of, of what, it, what, it, what it's like to be the reader and, and feel like you're in the room with these people. That, that is absolutely true, and you can feel all that intensity. Now, we only have about a minute left.